0: morning everyone i'm going to read the bible for us we're in titus it'll be on the screen it's in your handouts it's in the bibles in front of you titus two eleven, and then i'm going to jump to chapter three as well for the grace of god has appeared that offers salvation to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And jumping to three three. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, no, but because of his mercy He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone.
1: Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. It's it's wonderful to be back with you. Uh, As Josh said, I I have um, come back from the US after spending time there with um, my son, who doesn't live there. We went there together, um, which was a great time, although I did come back uh, with... uh, uh, A man flu, uh, a non-COVID man flu, I need to stress. I've uh, tested many times this week. Um, So I apologise for uh, an unusually husky voice and a slightly unpleasant sniffle, um, uh, which hopefully won't distract us too much, because I I am really looking forward to looking at these two uh, passages together from Titus, uh, chapter 2 and 3. So hopefully you've got them open there in front of you, either uh, in the Bible, if you've got that uh, with you or just on the handout. And on the other side is uh, an outline of uh, what we're looking at together. Uh, Titus chapter 2 and 3, but I'm not going to begin there. I'm going to begin uh, with the other reading that you can see uh, on the outline. Uh, I want to read to you a Christmas carol, That is, uh, read that is, not sing, and I think that's best for all of us. Um, I'm going to sing uh, a slightly uh, less well-known carol, uh, Psalm 126. Uh, So here it is. Uh, Have a look at Psalm 126 on the page there. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, it might be a a long stretch, but uh, my argument is that is uh, the best carol that's ever been written. Uh, Psalm 126. I think it captures perfectly the heart of Christmas. And I think it captures perfectly and more broadly uh, what this Advent season that that we find ourselves in is all about. It speaks of uh, the relentless and repeating joy that God brings his people. And I want us to use Psalm 126, if you like, as a bit of a trellis as we look at Titus 2 and 3 because they are essentially speaking of the the same things. Uh, Here on the edge of uh, Christmas 2022 just a week away as Josh said earlier I don't know how you're feeling about another Christmas whether it's filling you with joy or dread or somewhere in between or whether this is a particularly hard time of year for you Uh, but I want to put to you a wholehearted defense of the joy and laughter that Christmas brings as the psalm sings if you've got it there in front of you you see what Christmas is about it is about the moment that God restores our fortunes it is actually the stuff of dreams but dreams come true Christmas is meant to be a time of deep belly laughs and tongues that sing for the joy of it all that's what Christmas is about and I want us to see that again this morning that actually the greatest joy this world has ever known is the joy of Christmas day and I want us to see that Uh, afresh from these passages in Titus Uh, but then I also want us to see something else which in in one sense looks contradictory I want us to see the thing that I regularly say to my children perhaps for not great reasons but here it is uh, the best part of Christmas is when it's over so those two things they sound contradictory the greatest joy this world has ever known is Christmas and the best part of Christmas is when it's over and Titus is going to show us why that is the case Uh, You can see there on the outline what we're going to see is quite simple, what actually happened at Christmas, how that changes our past and our present, and indeed how it will change things yet to come. So let's look at each of those in turn, and now we do turn to Titus 2. Please have a look at Titus 2 uh, from the outline there, and as you do uh, turn your attention to that, here's my theory about Christmas. And it's been renewed, this theory, in recent weeks, having uh, travelled around the US. Our world loves Christmas still. Uh, Last week, uh, this time last week, I was in New York, uh, and man, do they do Christmas well. Uh, Everything you could possibly think you could throw at the whole Christmas idea, they have thrown at it. Lights everywhere, music everywhere, decorations everywhere. It is utterly wonderful uh, to experience it. And I I left uh, that experience uh, reflecting not just in New York but in much of the world, our world still wants in on the wonder of Christmas. It wants in on everything that, uh, that, that, that this season holds. And I think, to be honest, we want that because we want things in our lives that are wonderful. We want things in our lives that are bigger than us and bigger than the mundane sort of daily routines that, that we have. We want things that are better than the frustrations we have in this world. We, we want things that are better than the things that make us sad and grievous in this world. And, and, and Christmas still holds out some sort of hope that this is a season for that sort of time. We need days that speak of better things. And for our world, Christmas is still one of those days. And so this time of year, much of our world goes in for the wonder of it all. But here's the other thing that, that struck me uh, in my Christmas wanderings in recent weeks. Our world still gets, I think, that at the heart of Christmas, the wonder is about things deeper than commerce. I wonder if you notice uh, how much at this time of year our world speaks about deep and precious things that are much more than materialism. We, we speak of kindness that we want to show to one another we we speak of love for one another we, we speak of graciousness and and gift giving the, these are the things that we still grasp at at Christmas we speak of these things this time of year I, I, in the media and I, I, I my bet for you is that if if you watch the carols on tv this year they'll speak of these things that we know that this is what it's all about and we want to be that way towards others this time of year perhaps especially this time of year And we long to receive these things from from others. And I suspect we also feel the lack of these things more acutely this time of year because we know they are the precious and wonderful things of life. And to have them uh, elude us in life, to have them be absent from us for whatever reason in our own experience is a deep grief that is even more acute this time of year. And it can make uh, a preacher standing up and saying Christmas is all about joy and laughter feel like just a jarring discordant note because that's not how you feel this time of year. But I suspect even if we don't go without these things at Christmas time, even if we do experience love and kindness from others, I suspect much of our world is not sure why these things are still so important to us. Uh, they're all a bit theoretical. We speak of kindness, we speak of love, we speak of grace, but, but they don't actually touch down into the concrete realities of our complex lives and our complex families, and they don't change much at that level. The, these concepts and even our experience of them at Christmas, is, it's, it can be all very ephemeral. It's here one day, gone the next. Gone too soon. And ultimately, it doesn't change anything. Normal life resumes all too quickly. Uh, as we were wandering around in New York in this last week, uh, one of the things that they do incredibly well are these Christmas markets. And my favourite was this. Uh, one in a place called Bryant Park. It's got this massive ice skating rink, which we didn't attempt. Um, uh, But all around it is a Christmas market. And and we kept going back there just to sort of look at it. And I did some of my Christmas shopping there. One of the extended family, I bought him a T-shirt there. He got it yesterday, so I can say that out loud now. And um, I remember buying this T-shirt from this guy who made the T-shirts. And I was saying to him, this is such a wonderful place. This is amazing. And he says, yeah, it is amazing. But in a couple of days, we're going to pack it all away in a box and it'll be gone. Now that's the cynicism of a, of a shopkeeper who'd probably got over the whole Christmas spirit by that stage but I think it captures something of the way our world goes about Christmas. It ends up being more shadow and show than substance. It reminds me of a, a lyric from a songwriter I was listening to uh, the other day, uh, Lizzie McAlpine is her name, and she said this, I see vapour trails in the sky but I don't see the plane. And I reckon that captures the way our world goes about Christmas. You know that experience where you see a plane in the sky and there's the big vapour trail behind it that it leaves? And all our world can see of Christmas is the vapour trail. There is something wonderful. There is something there, but they've lost sight of the engine that drives it. This Christmas, our world hints at the wonder of deep things like kindness and love, but we've actually lost connection uh, with the engine that drives those things. But Titus 2 and 3, and we're finally going to get there. Titus 2 and 3 say to us, stop chasing the vapour trails, see the plane. Have a look at it with me. I think Titus is a word to those who've lost track of why these things matter so much. And it's a word for those who long for these things but grieve their absence at Christmas. Titus declares that the things that we know that are at the heart of the wonder of Christmas, the things that we long to have in our lives, kindness and love and grace they've actually shown up at our house. Uh, read it with me, Titus 2:11: "For the grace of God has appeared." And again, uh, the next passage there, Titus three verse four, "When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared." That's the wonder at the heart of Christmas. Kindness and love have, have shown up. These precious things that are at the, at the heart of life, that, that things that either feel absent for us or, or perhaps more ephemeral concepts, and that's it. These things are are not absent, and they're not just concepts. Uh, here's why. Look again at two eleven, Titus two eleven. Grace is not a concept. It's a person. <laughs> And it made it even more clear, Titus 3, verse 4. Have a look at there. Kindness and love aren't concepts either. Look closely. When the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us. You see what the scriptures are telling us? This is the wonder of Christmas. Grace appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus of Christ. Kindness and love of God stepped into our lives. This is not the vapour trail, this is the plane. Christmas brings the arrival of what seemed absent or disconnected. Kindness takes a seat at our Christmas table. Love enters the room. Grace shows up is what Christmas is about. And because grace is here, because kindness is here, because love is here, in other words, because he is here, everything changes. And so to our second point on the outline there, how Christmas changes things in our past and present. What sort of change? Well, it's like the old carol, Psalm 126 verse 1 says, Christmas is all about God's restoration of our fortunes, past and present. How does it change our past? Well, have a look at Titus 2, 11 again. See why grace shows up. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And again, Titus 2, 3, and, uh, 3 4 and 5 See why the kindness uh, kindness and love of God takes a seat at our table. When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, why? He saved us. Grace and kindness and love come into our lives not as a theory, but a person and he has a purpose. He's the one, that is grace is the one, of whom the Apostle John said in, in 1 John 1, we saw him appear. We heard him. We touched him. We embraced him. And then he'll say later in his gospel, and they beat him and they tortured him and they nailed him up on a cross. God himself, grace himself, kindness and love himself came and lived among us and died among us to save us. That's why he came. All our past, all, all that we'd hoped wouldn't follow us into Christmas present, <laughs> uh, all our sin, all our mess, he showed up to carry it. That's his gift. Grace brings salvation to anyone is what we're told Christmas is about. That's why, we, why we've been about what we have been about in these recent days. That's what the Christmas fair was about, why we plonked a table down there in the middle of the village. That's what the carols in the garden was about uh, last Sunday afternoon. Is what carols and high tea will be about the, the, this afternoon. We don't want to just set these things up to be part of the wonder of it all. We don't do these things to present to our world another theory, another concept at Christmas. Our world doesn't need another theory. We want them to meet grace appeared. We want them to meet Jesus, who appeared to turn their fortunes around. What sort of change? Death to life kind of change. Sin to forgiveness kind of change. Enemies to at peace with God kind of change. That's why grace appeared. How we long to see more people see him and believe because we know the change that moment brings to our messy and disastrous past, our sin. Not only does it change our past, though, it keeps changing our present lives as Christians as we gather each week together as a church. Uh, Have a look again at Titus, and you'll see it there in 2.13. Here's my theory as we look at it together. Our world not only is obsessed with Christmas, here's what it's also obsessed with. Self-help and change and personal development. We love those ideas. We love the idea that we're developing as people and changing. But again, I suspect most of the means we use are the vapour trail. But the grace that appeared that first Christmas past is actually strong enough to change you in this coming year. Have a look at Titus again. I said verse 13, but let's go back to verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Only grace can change us like that. But not as a concept that we are sent to. But the appearing before your eyes and my eyes of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Only he can change us and how we need that change. Change not just from forgiveness of the past, but new life in the present. When Consider what we're doing as we do right now, open the scriptures together. We're not learning concepts together, we're learning Jesus. As God speaks his word of grace to you this morning, it speaks of him. As the spirit of God speaks this word to us he is taking us again and again to jesus that he might be our teacher you want change in the present and in this coming year my encouragement to you is let grace be your teacher let me highlight two of the things that he grace will teach you this year Uh, here's the first of them you can see it there in verse 12 he will teach you to say no to ungodliness Now, what's ungodliness? Well, ungodliness comes from a heart that refuses to submit to Jesus as king. That's what ungodliness is in the present details of my life. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know whether there are details, aspects of your life that you still claim sovereignty over. These are things where you call the shots. These are things where you're in charge. I suspect we all have them in the details of our lives. Well, here's the reality. Only the appearing of his grace can teach you the folly of that rebellious stance. Only the sight before our eyes of the one who loved me and gave himself for me will convince my heart to trust him and to say to him, you be king here, you take the lead here, not me. That when he calls me to change, when he calls me to trust him, when he calls me to obey, he does it for my good, for he loved me and gave himself for me. And so let grace be your teacher, not just to say no to ungodliness, but here's the other one. You see it there in verse 12, no to worldly passions. You know, if you read through the scriptures, it's clear in the Bible that God wants us to be passionate people. He wants us to be driven. I wonder what drives you as you think about this year ahead. What, what, are, what are the drivers for you? What are your passions well, worldly passions that, that grace teaches us to say no to are uh, our loves, are our drives all bent out of shape. That's what they are. They're the passion of a person that, well, the theologian Martin Luther said, uh, is a man curved in on himself, where our love is ultimately self-focused. Our passion is ultimately self-honoring and it is ultimately self-destructive. What we need is a new desire a new love, a new passion, a new object of worship, and only the appearing again of his grace can teach me the shallow emptiness of my worldly desires. Only the appearing of his grace can lift my curved in head and heart to see that he's so magnificent, so gloriously good, so kind and so loving and so gracious and so satisfying that he puts all else that I may be driven by and passionate about in this world in his shadow. Only grace has the power to loosen my grip on whatever I prize and cling to and cling to him instead. It won't be the vow to be different. It won't be a grand plan to change. It will be seeing and savouring the Lord Jesus. The grace that appeared in space and time and history. The favour that came to rest on this world that first Christmas when the, when the skies were filled with a choir of angels The grace that uh, as he grew up went outside the city gates of Jerusalem and walked up that lonely hill and they nailed and hung him to a cross as the skies were then filled not with a choir of angels but darkness. The grace that with his last breath cried in victory it's finished. That grace appearing is my teacher. He alone can tell me all I need for life and godliness. Not just for my past but even now in the present age. Uh, we have the privilege as Christians of living in the afterglow of that first Christmas, that first appearing. And what's brilliant about it, it's not like Bryant Park, it doesn't get packed away in a box at Christmas. It, 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 the glow gets brighter the more we look at it, the more we come to see him and savour him and the more change will come. Now, when, uh, when they were younger, one of my children would, uh, and they will remain nameless, uh, would always cry on Christmas Day afternoon. And uh, they'd cry because it was over. Uh, There was such anticipation, such build-up to Christmas Day that uh, here we were just before bedtime and it was all done for another year and it was just heartbreaking. They wanted it back again and uh, each year we'd negotiate and navigate this this scene and uh, in one sense I want to say in part what they were feeling is completely right. Christmas, when you see the heart of it, when you see the plane, not the vapour trail, is to be savoured. It is, as Psalm 126 puts it, it's so much better than we could have dreamed. It's a day of kindness and love and grace and restored fortunes and dreams come true and the stuff of laughter and songs. Who wants a day like that to end? Uh, there is a sadness that something so good as the appearing of his grace, Jesus, might just be in the past but there's something else as we come to a close that christmas invites us to see and again i think psalm 126 captures it for us it's the remember what psalm 126 is doing it's the joy of the relentless and repeating nature of the way god works in our world here is a psalm written by god's people israel who know that god is like that Uh, you remember their history there they were in egypt as slaves and they cried out to God and he restored their fortunes and they they walked unscathed through the Red Sea and then they saw their enemies swallowed up by that sea and what do they do they break into songs of joy and then they get into the promised land but there's this season of tumult and war and attacks from people like the Philistines and they long for rest and they long for God to be with them and then it comes and God is with them in his temple and again songs of joy But here, as they write this song, they're writing it in exile, out of the promised land, longing to get back home. And and do you see what they say in verses 4 to 6? Do it again, Lord. Show your love and your kindness and your grace again to us. Come again. Turn turn the drought that we're now feeling into a stream. Turn the tears into joy. Turn the lack into plenty. They they sing, because here's what they're confident of. Their lives are bordered on one side in the past by God showing up To restore them and on the other side of the border is their future God promising to do it again and as we come to a close and as we head to another Christmas as we prepare to look back on that first Christmas I want to say to you how much more are your lives bordered by those same things one direction our past we look back and we see the God who showed up in Christmas past to bring his kindness and love and grace and we see how that's changed things But we look forward and we call on him to do it again and we call on him to do it because that's exactly what he's promised to do. We live in the sure hope of another advent, another appearing. Have a look at Titus 2.13 as we come to a close. We wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. In my child who would cry every Christmas day afternoon in one sense got it completely right and yet completely wrong. We live in the first Christmas afterglow but we don't just look back. We look forward to something even better yet to come. And I, I do want to say for those who heard me earlier say that Christmas is meant to be all about laughter and joy and you look at your present circumstances and you think, you know, that's hard to muster to be honest. You need to hear this. The best day of our lives is not in our past, it's in our future. Here's the truth. The best part of Christmas is when it's over. (laughs) We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Christian, I don't know how your present uh, days are, whether they are great or whether they are days of sadness and lack, as the psalm speaks of. But here's what you need to know, our lives are bordered by the most joyful of days. We live between the appearances of his grace, between the arrivals of our great God and saviour Jesus and the one yet to come is even better. That's the plane, that's the engine room of deep joy, that's the reason to sing and laugh this Christmas because it's not just in the past, it's yet to come. Now, I don't know what you wait for in life, but here's, here's what waiting does for us. It shapes the present. What we wait for and long for actually shapes how we behave now. And let me ask you this. Are you waiting for that? Are you waiting for what he promised? Are you waiting for your reunion with the one who loved you and gave himself for you? The one who loves you like no one else ever will. The one whose love goes before you and takes on all the damage you have caused by your rebellion on himself. Can you imagine the day you see him face to face? That's the day of this psalm when tears become joy, when lack becomes plenty, when absence becomes presence. I wonder if you think about that day much. That's what Christmas is meant to do for us, set our sights for that day. Do you call on him to restore our fortunes in this way? Do you want Christmas Day to come again? (laughs) I loved New York Uh, they do Christmas like nowhere else I've been on earth and it is hard to imagine, as I said, a more wholehearted effort to get into the joy of it all. But in the end, uh, flying out over that city, looking at all the Christmas lights from a height, I I left feeling, despite all the noise and all the music and all the colour, it was hard not to think that they were chasing at vapour trails, unable to see the plane. And so I say to you, Christian, Christmas, this Christmas, look up don't miss it see the deep joys that frame your life on one side the grace of god that appeared and saved you live for the joy of that while waiting for an even greater joy that's rushing across the sky even as we meet this morning the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus who gave himself for you let's pray together Now I'm going to pray by simply reading Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Amen.